everyone. Welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 23. Uh, on this episode, I have uh, Matthew Fleet from James River Equipment, Matt Rash from AgriVision Equipment, and Aaron Fennel from 21st Century Equipment with me. Um, so our new uh, segment here I'm going to do every Friday called the Friday Rundown, where we're going to have two or three or four dealer groups uh, on the line, and we're going to talk regionally kind of what's happening, and I think that's probably a, a better way to kind of get some, learn some stuff from guys. So... Um, with that being said, let's jump right into it. Um, Matt, why don't you give me a little idea of who AgriVision is and the kind of crops that you guys cover? Yeah, Casey, so AgriVision Equipment is a 10 store dealership in southwest Iowa. Basically, cover everything west of I 35 and south of I 80. If you look at the state of Iowa, those two kind of go through the middle. Uh, um, east and west, north and south. We basically cover them in that southwest quadrant uh, of the state. Uh, corn and beans uh, dominate our territory just like the rest of Iowa for the most part. We do get into hay country and cattle country down in the southern part of our uh, territory. So pretty diverse, but corn, beans, cattle do have some hog finishing units in our area as well, but those are going to be the four main areas that we cover in our, our territory here in southwest Iowa. Good. So, you guys got enough diversity then, when uh, with the way the crop prices are right now, that you can lean on some cattle guys to kind of carry you through. Yeah, you bet. You know, it kind of seems like when corn prices are down, that uh, cattle prices are up, and, and vice versa. So, there's some good enough diversification that uh, we can lean on some other areas of our business, hay equipment, for example, versus uh, maybe tractors aren't selling, and um, with that diverse area that we have, so it is kind of nice. Like everybody make money all the time, but uh, no, it doesn't work out that way. So. Yeah, it's a nice thing about having a diverse area. So, um, Matthew Fleet, James River, give me a little background on uh, on James River Equipment and kind of the area you guys cover, and a little bit about yourself. Okay, Casey, uh, James River Equipment is a forty-four store agricultural and construction dealership covering uh, Virginia and North Carolina. Um, we have a very, very uh, diverse geography from the from all the way on the coast of Virginia to the, to the mountains of Virginia, and then in North Carolina, we cover the western uh, part of the state for the agricultural business. Um, we kind of serve all customer markets and segments as far as row crops or traditional corn, soybeans, and wheat. Um, we have a tremendous hay and cattle business, particularly in the western part of both states. And uh, we also have a fair amount of, you know, sort of specialty crops with uh, cotton, tobacco, peanuts, um, pretty good big orchard, you know, apple and orchard business in the western part of the state, uh, as well as dairies out there. So, um, and we also got a lot of people out here, a lot, lot of people out here on the East Coast. So a lot of our stores are primarily uh, serving the turf uh, business, selling to consumers and commercial commercial business so very very diverse uh dealership yeah so that guys will keep you pretty busy then you're going everything from large ag small ag all the way down into uh d160 so you have a pretty good uh i guess you have your diversity then is that i'm sure it's not always a uh an overwhelmingly big helper to you i mean you kind of have to be all things to all people we do. We, we, we do. We have to serve a lot of masters, and uh, it could be a challenge. Yeah. Um, 
but but it does help kind of smooth out those smooth that ride out when one segment of the business is struggling there there's some others that are there to pick it up so um it does tend to tend to make things a little easier we don't feel the the uh, slumps you know we don't go as low as, as we might if we just serve one market so we do appreciate that but it is it's tough um you know when you talk about equipment particularly used equipment um you know, we trade in all that stuff, whether it's lawnmowers, gators, tractors. I mean, you name it, man. We've got it in inventory. Um, so um, I enjoy the diversity. It makes the job exciting. But it is a lot of things to know a little bit about everything. And sometimes <laughs> maybe you don't know anything about about one thing. So, um, But it's fun. I promise you it's fun. That's good, man. So Aaron Fennell, you've been on this podcast more than anybody else. I think even more than me. So, um, <laughs> what's uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods, and how are things shaping up out there? Oh, they're going. It's uh, been with the Nebraska half. I would say it's been very odd weather for this time of year. It's been been cool, been wet. Um, kind of held harvest up. Sugar beets are real big. The oh. The middle of the Nebraska Territory and middle of the Colorado Territory, or northern Colorado. The uh, I know I saw a news deal the other day. They're talking about probably the biggest crop we've ever had uh, as far as tonnage and good sugar spill. So those guys could be doing pretty well, and sugar beet guys tend to tend to buy more iron than the than the average guy. You know, and, and our biggest crops out here is corn, wheat, sugar beets. We've got a bunch of other stuff, but those are those are the big three. Um, corn, guys are slowly getting into corn. Um, seeing a big uptick on combine, used combine sales and corn head sales here the last two, three weeks. Um, you know, basically guys are wait until the very last minute to make sure that something is out there and then scrambling to get everything done yesterday type of deal. Um, I've, I've noticed that pretty big throughout the whole territory, quite honestly. Um, corn is supposed to be pretty decent. Um, I don't know if we're going to be into any record yields or anything like that in the corn, but we we do the corn did make corn as the as the old timers say and it it, it should be pretty decent. I think it'll have a positive impact on on our year end for sure. Okay, so since sugar beets are only grown in about five or six areas across the uh, across really across North America, give the guys listening here kind of a rundown of of the equipment needed in that in that business and then what what's it look like uh, as far as you know, the overall turnover of, of the equipment in, in that segment of our business? Well, it's, it, you know, you would think it's a whole different deal, equipment-wise, um, and it just depends on how the farm is set up. you got guys that are growing 30-inch beans, and, and all water beans, for the most part, are, are uh, dry edible beans, kidneys and great northern wheat raise very, very little soybeans out here. But, uh, you know, it depends on how the farm's set up. 
they'll be 30 inch for most of the row crops and they might be 20 or 22 beaks. Um, I've also seen in recent years here, guys ship the whole farm over to 20s or 22s. So, you know, I know we have one grower, I don't know, more than one, two or three growers specifically that have narrow row beaks and 30 inch corn, okay? So in that instance, I got a couple tractors with skinny tires, you know, set for 88. Then they got other tractors for the 30-inch crops. For the beets themselves, you know, if you really only need two different pieces of equipment, a defoliator and a digger. And the defoliator is basically, you know, think of a uh, flail stock, stock shredder. But there's three drums in it. The first, you know, the first row or two is is uh, the paddles in them are rubber instead of steel, and then you got scalpers on the back that finish the job off. Little, little knives that run, and they don't always use them. It kind of depends on condition of the weather and the beats and the piles and all that. Whether or not they're running those, so your your equipment needs. Mm are not dramatic other than the fact that, you know, I'm talking about two pieces of equipment, but they only work for one crop and they're not cheap. You know, even a six row, 30 inch new beat digger, you're looking at, you know, 150, 180 and it does one crop. So you got to, you know, it's not like spending that on a tractor, a combine, planter, you know, something like that. It's, it's a whole different ball game. Here in the last five years, we have had a lot of our bigger growers going to a ROPA machine, which is a self-propelled beet harvester that does the defoliating and the digging in one path, plus it can carry, you know, several ton on it. Whereas the, the regular beet diggers, they do have a little holding tank on them, but predominantly you drive the truck beside the digger, you fill the truck up, you know, and that, that tank is just kind of an emergency deal between trucks, if you will. Um, more often than not, it's big and, big and dump as you're going. So that ROPA has, has helped things quite a bit. As far as efficiencies, you, instead of two guys running, you got one guy. Um, it also allows you to get in a lot worse field conditions because they, you know, you're running on, it's a three axle machine and you've got 932s on all three axles. So it, it looks like it floats on water and it'll, it'll go into a lot, a pretty, pretty great, great, condition just because of how it's equipped. The downfall of that is, just like all that other stuff, it does one crop and it's about three quarters of a million dollars for one of them to buy it new. So, I do, I, you know, as far as a, from a used equipment guy standpoint, they're not the end of the world because there's only so many of them out there, you know. And the used market hasn't been all that bad. Um, they're, they're really gaining popularity across North America. And I know we, we actually 
here last year we had a used one and it actually stayed in territory. The other ones we've had have gone to uh, Michigan and uh, North Dakota, I believe, is where the used machines we had went. Um, so they're, they're a different deal. They, they also, you know, quite honestly, I've heard a lot of old timers in the, in the area talk that, you know, sugar beets built agriculture in western Nebraska. And I know it's the same thing in Colorado. You know, that, that's what got everybody up and going and irrigation set up and all that. Otherwise, we'd just be, you know, 400-acre wheat fields and praying for rain, and that's about it. But the, the, we have sugar beets to thank for a lot of growth and, quite honestly, prosperity for the most part in uh, agriculture out here in, in our region of the High Plains. So... That's kind of kind of the rundown on the sugar beet world. Okay. So, Matthew, talk to us about uh, <clears throat> my, my grandma's from from Lumberton, North Carolina, and she grew up on a cotton and tobacco farm. So, the tobacco business has always been one of those things that I've I found to be pretty enamoring, and I've always liked it. So, talk to guys a little bit about what it takes to to uh, harvest tobacco and and uh, or or baca and um, and uh, what what kind of equipment you need for that? And most of us out here in Nebraska appreciate you raising that over there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Well, um, I tell you, you're going to have to get another uh, another rep from Jameser Equipment to uh, speak tobacco um, on your podcast because okay. I have very little knowledge of it. So tobacco is grown in this sort of the south-central part of uh, Virginia. Um, it likes certain soil types. Um, and so we have a couple locations who have quite a few tobacco uh, customers around them um, and a lot of do a lot of that business. But none of it is near me, Casey. I'm not uh, – I'm located in the eastern part of uh, Virginia where I grew up. So um, if you think about Virginia, um, Interstate 95 – Sort of runs here on the east eastern part of uh, Virginia, and everything everything to the east of I ninety five will be traditional row crop um, row crops grown. In the southern part of that, you'll see you'll get into the tobacco. Bit, I mean, excuse me, the uh, cotton and peanut business. And so then, from the west side of ninety five is where you get into a lot more hay business, and the southern part of that is where you get to the tobacco. I got you. And um, so I have to get one of the guys out of our Danville, Virginia location that uh, can go through all that. I know enough about it to be dangerous. I don't know enough to talk about it on a podcast that that uh, someone will listen and think I'm supposed to know what I'm talking about in the tobacco world because I don't. <laughs> well, you should try to you should try to host one when when people try to think you know what you're talking about. That's that's the uh, that's yeah the <laughs> exactly. Well. Um, Okay, so let's just jump in I here. do know it takes a lot of specialty equipment, okay. and, it, and, it, and it still requires a lot of uh, manual labor. Um, so the guys that grow it, if you grow, if you're a 200-acre tobacco farmer, you are an incredibly large tobacco farmer, um, oh. and, and they have a lot of people working for them. Um, they're quite the operations. But uh, I'd be glad to give you some names of the guys to put on here to, to uh, talk about it. it. It's very, very interesting crop. Yeah, I, I will tell you, we we did demo a uh, forage chopper to harvest some tobacco about a month ago. 
So there's a there's a project going on. It's being funded by, um, of course, a government grant was given to uh, some guys to try to find alternative fuels to make jet fuel. And so they're chopping this uh, tobacco uh, with the forge chopper, and then they're putting it in a press and getting all the those juices out, and they're going to turn that into jet fuel. Don't ask me how they were going to do it, but apparently this, the properties of that uh, tobacco juice was going to be used to make jet fuel. So anyhow, that was that was kind of crazy and kind of neat to see that going to a forge chopper. Well, I can start chewing again and make some money on the side. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all those cups you see laying around, people full of tobacco juice. Yeah, there might there might, might be jet fuel in those things. I could be I could be a new cash crop all itself. That's right. <laughs> So looking at your looking out towards the end of the year, uh, Matthew, what do you see kind of happening across your region, and uh, what do you see as far and going into the first of the year? Well, Casey, okay, so we've had we've had above average weather um, across our territory. Uh, matter of fact, some of our some areas have had or are reporting record yields um, so far this year. So there is overall it's very positive. Uh, amongst our customer base, particularly the row crop farmers, um, and we're get, we're doing a lot of quoting, a lot of talking, um, lining up, you know, purchasing here for the end of the year, as well as we've had we've had an uptick in sales. Um, some real hesitancy on the smaller farmers, and what we would consider a smaller row crop farmer would be somebody under two thousand acres. Um, they. They're not as excited. They're still struggling, kind of getting over 2015 and 16. Uh, they weren't great years for us, weather or prices, and and uh, you know they're not they're not ready to start writing checks to purchase equipment. Um, so the other parts of our business um, are just average. You know the hay and cattle uh, business with all the utility tractors and, and hay equipment. I would say it's just average. There's nothing there really that great, but but it was an okay year. Um, and then, uh, really our turf and consumer business, which is really big for us out here with our, you know, lawn equipment and small tractors and things that's been, that's been phenomenal this year. Um, that continues to grow. So consumer confidence has, has, uh, returned and, uh, we continue to just sell lots and lots of small tractors and lots of gators and lots of, you know, that are, that are definitely discretionary purchases. So. That's positive. Good. I think we're seeing the same thing too, even in our our little area when it comes to, you know, the gator sales and those kind of things. We're seeing some more of that kind of stuff than we we've had in the past probably. Um, Matt, what do you see happening in your area? And uh, talk a little bit about the, uh, the cattle market and uh, how that's affecting your business. Yeah, kind of echoing what Matthew was just saying there uh, as far as, yields and things like that we typically we're selling tractors all year long and this summer it got pretty slow um just guys weren't sure what they had out in the field we had a tough spring getting getting things planted and then uh turned dry in june there was a lot of artery and only had half inch rain for june um and then the guys that would get rain they would get quite a bit so there was a lot of a lot of variance out in the field and so it's taken a little while for guys to actually get running to see what they're going to have for uh, yields. But now they got out in it, 
um, they're getting surprised um, to a positive point. So now, yeah, all of a sudden, in the last 30, 45 days, we've seen an uptick in tractor sales. Been moving quite a few used combines and heads. Um, I know Aaron mentioned earlier, guys are just kind of waiting here to the to the very end, and that's what we are seeing as well. Talking to guys, you know, across our territory, we've heard anything from on the soybean side from low 40s to mid 80s for field averages. Um, and some of those are only a couple miles apart. Um, we had one farmer that uh, had corn that was maybe 50 to 60 bushel when the insurance adjusted it for chopping. I had a farm two miles north of there that went almost 200. Um, just that's how big variances we had in rainfall across our territory. So as guys are getting out, like I said, you know, they're seeing, the, seeing quite a bit of the a yield to a positive direction, what they thought they were maybe going to have. So that's, I think, uh, moving forward will positively impact sales, um, you know, towards the end of the year here. Yep. So what do you see, Matt, kind of going into the first of the year, what do you see as some, as some positive things that could happen for you and as well as might, what might be some of your uh, big hurdles you might have to overcome? I think that planter and sprayer market is going to be good still. Uh, I know I'm, Previous podcast, a lot of guys have been talking about sprayers and, and the planter, you know, market being good. We're still getting activity on those items as well, even though we're harvest season. Um, we've had several sprayers come in here late summer, kind of after season, and several of those left before they even uh, hit the lot. So we're still seeing a pretty positive trend on good use sprayers. Um, same thing uh, on planters. The thing I would say on planters is they have to be. What we're seeing is they got to be, you know, the hydraulic drive, um, real command. They got to have a lot of options. We're seeing the guys that maybe aren't even going to buy a new one. If they're going to upgrade, they're going to at least upgrade to have, you know, the shutoffs, the hydraulic drive, and those options on them. And that's that's what we're seeing a lot of that activity on the use side. If there's a mechanical drive, no shutoffs, that's a that's a whole different market from what we're seeing. Um, and the tractor side, the same way. It's it's a low hour real clean, come from a good home, pretty easy to move. If it's a little higher hour, um, kind of a plain Jane, it's a, it's a tougher sell. So um, we had a example, we had a 7330 premium uh, get traded into us here, had 700 hours on it, so, you know, kind of a one-of-a-kind machine. Um, I thought well, we, what we had in it was probably plenty plenty much, but I had it advertised for one day and it got sold. So, um it showed the part, and there's just things like that, I think, that guys are looking for that they're going to upgrade and have a certain budget they're going to spend money on, that it's going to have to be something really clean and really nice, and they're probably going to hang on to it. So I think that's probably what we're kind of looking at, you know, here towards year end and moving forward, is those markets are, are probably what are going to be our best ones. Yeah, I had, a, I had machinery Pete on earlier this week, and I'm getting ready to release that one, but his, his whole kind of mantra of, throughout the podcast was guys are looking to upgrade their stuff and they're looking to uh, do those kind of things, but it's the late hour or late hour, late model, low hour stuff that guys are looking at that is in really good condition that they're looking at. And, yep. and the options now are even a bigger thing because technology, like you said on that planner, I mean, half with disconnect and, and a real commander are pretty much a, uh, a must anymore on those, on those planners. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, you know, you're looking at a world right now, too, guys, where 
he's not going to roll that thing in a year. So he cares a lot more about what it is, what it has, all that kind of stuff. Because with the with the economy the way it is, they're going to hang on to it. You know, that's yeah. that's a huge driving factor in. I would say condition and options right now versus what it was three, four years ago, you know, where it was the, the attitude of, well, if I don't like it, hell, I'll dump it next year and get something else. And that's, those days are gone for now. Yeah, it's kind of a, you're, you're kind of getting married to whatever it is that you got. So what are you seeing out your way, Matthew, when it comes to when you're looking at, at seating equipment and, and that kind of stuff? Are you seeing a similar pattern or, or is there a little something different out there? Yeah, we have seen a uh, similar uptick in, in planter activity. Now, our our EOP back in the summer wasn't wasn't outstanding by any stretch. We still met our goal, but um, we had a pretty small goal. Um, you know, we just didn't feel like there was going to be that much uh, much growth in that planter market. But it's kind of kind of returned here the last thirty days. Um, so as far as you know, what's popular and what's not on the planter side. I tell you, every time I think I know it's trending in one direction, I get completely wrong and get fooled and it goes the other way. Or people, someone jumps to buy something that I had no no idea anyone would ever want to buy from us. So, you know, there, there's definitely uh, this aftermarket business on planters. So it seems like we have had some success selling Older planters who have really nice frames on them, but someone wanted to take it, and it was all mechanical, let's say, and they want to take it and put all this fancy aftermarket stuff and make it a 2000, you know, 2018 planter by adding uh, attachments from one of these companies. Um, so they got to buy it cheap if you're going to do that because you're going to spend a lot of money to upgrade it, but they feel like it's something they can afford and they get into something that's going to be upgraded um, and have all those fancy buttons and switches and screens to look at. So versus having to pay premium dollar for a high spec, high option, you know, deer planter, for example, that is still really, really expensive. Um, so they'll, they'll, they'll take those older ones and, and uh, spend all winter in the shop fixing them up and, and uh, make them like new. It's amazing what you can put on a planter these days. I mean, how, how much that's evolved over the past, you know, eight, nine years is, is really uh, pretty impressive what you can do with a planter bar now. I mean, you can take an old an older planter and, and really make it almost uh, new, almost as new and technology-wise as, as uh, buying one straight off the factory floor. Yeah, there's no doubt. No, no doubt. And uh, it's, it's amazing what guys find to put on them and, uh, as evidenced by, you know, companies like John Deere trying to buy Precision. I mean, they saw how big that business had grown and gotten to, um, that they wanted to get, it, get in that market. So we've missed out on quite a bit of that business. But uh, one thing I'll say about that, and I think, I think most of the farmers understand it, is they need to buy all those attachments that they're adding, all that technology, that aftermarket stuff. They need to make it pay for itself. They're gonna, they know they're going to be married to it for a while because when they do go to sell it or trade that piece in, that stuff may not be important to the next guy. And in most cases, it's not important to the dealer. Um, so they are, they're doing what Aaron said. They know they're kind of married to it, and they're willing to put all that stuff on there, knowing they're going to own it for a while. Um, because most likely things are going to change by the time they're ready to 
carry that in. So if you're going to put it on there, you got to make sure it's going to make you the money. Yeah. Matt, when you guys look at your uh, retrofit business, has that been a has that been anything that you guys have really dabbled in? Is that something your customers are looking at? We tried. Uh, we retrofitted one seventeen seven uh, twenty four row over to it. Um, but honestly, I've not seen much traction in that market. Um, I was going to ask there what guys were seeing on EOP because for us on EOP for planners, um, gosh, I think ninety percent of the planners we ordered were exact merged this year. There was very few that were not uh, exact merged. I saw a lot of guys that were going from uh, two planners down to one just because of labor issues, not being able to find help. And wanted to get down to one planner and do it themselves. Um, so that was a trend that we've been seeing. We were starting to get actually uh, a little nervous as far as guys that aren't ordering an exact merge that did order, you know, an ME5, uh, if there's going to be a market for that uh, moving down the road. But uh, curious what everybody else is seeing in that, because that's what we're seeing in, in our area. Well, that's, that's really interesting. Um, we, we've, had really good luck with exact mergers, except in a couple of a couple of instances. But overall, yeah, we, we've sold. Uh, I would I would say I'd say probably average for next year maybe half exact merge, um, and then and then the rest of them be any uh, five E's. Mm-hmm. Um, we we found a, a few situations and conditions um, entirely their 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 environmental conditions is why the exact merge maybe didn't do what the customer wanted it to do. Um, but part of that's just due to our weather and our climate out here and the, and the, and the size the size of those customers and when they were trying to run those machines. Um, but, yeah, I, it's, man, I, I would love to have Aaron's crystal ball here to look into the future of these big, you know, <laughs> quarter, million, quarter million dollar planners. And I know one day he's planning on shipping out here to the East Coast. Um, you know, hopefully, <laughs> what the yeah, I know, I know. Hopefully, he's done right. Um, I got I got the truck warming up, so <laughs> yeah, I know you do. Yeah, where where, where this thing leads us, I I'm I'm just uh, like everyone else. I feel like just kind of sit back and watching and waiting, seeing what's going to happen in five years from now on the, on these planners. Um, I feel like for sure you're married to these when you buy them. And they better they better make you money by using them because they may not may not have a lot of value down the road. It's just got to be such a specialty sort of business where everybody likes theirs the way they want it, and uh, it's it's just it's a it's a tough piece to trade in these days, in my opinion. I think it's a uh, the, the new trend in planners is going to be smaller, not bigger, because they're going to be able to do so much the same amount faster, as fast as a you know twelve row can do what a twenty four row did now. Uh, with with the speed and accuracy that's there, so I think that's going to be the uh, probably the next tide we got to watch for. Now, what are we going to do with twenty four row planters that guys are the you know, twenty four row exact emerges and stuff like that? When now guys are looking at twelves and sixteens to to, to kind of replace those. Yep, we got that key. Pretty large farmer that flew seventeen seventy twenty four rows. Would run fine. The other one he'd run as much as he could, but then the dad would be the one being the seat tender guy. And so when he wasn't 
Tennessee he was playing, so that other third player only ran maybe half, two thirds of the time, but they got rid of all three of them, went to two, exact emerged 24 rows. Um, and we did JD Link studies on the hours. And this year they put the same hours on the two tractors as they did the three hours the year, or the three tractors the year before, covering the same acre. So they were able to get rid of a tractor and planter and then have one guy be a full time seed tender guy and get over the same acres in almost virtually the exact same hours put on two tractors. We had a, we had That's a good news that those guys up those guys up in Moline don't like to hear those kind of reports, Matt. You know that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that that whole thing about smaller planters actually in their in their planter video. I mean, they talk about you can now do twelve row, you know, what a twelve row can do with a twenty four row, you know, regular yeah. old planter. I mean, that was actually in their in their in their uh, just you know sales pitch to everybody. So, I mean, I think I just think there's. The 24-row planter thing, as farms get bigger, they will probably keep the 24 rows and keep doing what they're doing. Um, as these farmers get bigger and they you know, add more acres, they're going to have to plant more ground. I saw a video of a, of a farmer back home that had a 24-row exact emerge, and he was going like 72 acres an hour or something like that is what the, uh, is what the uh, screen said on the monitor You know, he was, he was doing. So, I mean, the amount of acres they can cover now, especially with as jacked up as planting windows have been uh, over the past two or three years with rain and all the other stuff that's out there. Um, you know, planting is going to get to be a bigger and bigger thing. So what do you see, Aaron? You're, you're, you're the kind of the wholesale guy and you, you deal with this stuff and your, your crystal ball is going to be the thing that is going to kind of determine, you know, when I'm sitting there asking you, what, what are we going to do with all these planters? Um, how do you see that market playing out, and and where do you see that that being a uh, is that going to be an Achilles heel, or is that going to be a uh, a nice profit center for us? Well, first thing I'm going to do is bitch you. Why'd you put this much in it? I can't move this <laughs> that number. <laughs> but, uh, I get it from both directions. No, I man. think. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> the uh, I don't think you're gonna. Me, personally, I would take it easy with that whole, I think smaller is going to come on, just for the simple fact of, I think Matt's situation is is more factual than planners getting smaller. I, you know, I think a guy, if he's running two, he might get by with one, just because of labor. You know, you got, you got a 18 farmer population across the country, you have... You know, the, the young aggressive guy getting bigger and better, he's not going to get a smaller planter, but he might go from three to two and make sure they're both exact emerge. You know, and I know, I also know of instances where, you know, and I think we talked this maybe in that first first podcast where there's guys that don't, you know, they don't want to drive eight mile an hour, they don't want to drive nine, they just, they want to go with six and a half but do it perfect, and they love the shit out of that exact merch for that, because you, you, your seat's in that brush belt, and it does not move, your spacing is there, everything is perfect, mother dear, until it's in the ground, you know, you, and there's, there's as much, I honestly believe there is as much market in that for the exact merch as there is planting and road gear. Now, as far as the impact it'll have on the used market, I think, you know, 
you're you're still. I don't think that the Emily Five is going to be a curse in say the central third of the country, um, which would be you know predominantly three point planner world, just because you know the the bulk of those orders are are maximers five, you know twelve rows, sixteen rows stackers, and that market's always going to be there. Um, every year, I would say, throughout the, the main five dealerships, throughout the high plains, there's, there's less three-point planners ordered and more guys going to the, you know, 16, 24, 17, 75. And at that point, you know, usually, not always, but usually when they go that route, they do go with the exact merch. Um, so I, I don't think the ME5 is a curse, but I would be damn careful what you put into them at trade time. You know, I, I, they're going to have a smarter percentage off the MVP, if you will. They're going to take a way bigger hit than an exact emerge. Just, you know, if you think about it from the other side, from the marketability standpoint, there's not a hell of a lot of huge exact emerges in the country yet because we're not put the planters right and left like we did five years ago. So when you have one of those used, it's good property. You know, maybe maybe not be totally scared of it. Everything scares the shit out of me. I don't care if it's a one ten lawnmower, but you you can you can maybe step into that with some confidence because it is going to be highly marketable. You know, just like we were talking these planters a minute ago. Guys, there's not as much new selling as there was, and that used ME5 is, is good stuff. You know, I know us personally, we've, we've stepped into them. But, you know, if you were a farmer trading a planter in 14, you're way better off to trade it now, you know, same planter, just because the auctions and all the bleeding has kind of cured that world. And now, with the with the used market coming up in general, that helps that helps with high dollar ME fives on the flip side of that coin too. And the the best thing I have heard in ages is exactly what Fleet just said a minute ago. If you spend all this money on all this stuff to put on that planner, you're going you know from a farmer standpoint, it better pay for itself, or you better take it off. Because your planners work the same whether it's on there or not. You know, you, you got a hundred guys, you pull a hundred guys, and I bet you wouldn't get ten that want that planner set up the same way. Whether it's brand or row cleaners, fertilizer pump, fertilizer placement, closing wheel, whatever. You know, if I, if, it, if I was buying a new planner, I'd order it stock, you know, pretty, pretty well. And, and a fancy ME5, but they steer stuff. And then throw your shit on there, take it off when you trade. So as far as the the crystal ball, which is not very crystal, quite honestly, somebody painted it flat black. But the uh, moving forward, I think there, I think the ME5 will be good stuff if you have them right. And the exact merge, you know, I, I think will kind of hold their own. Yeah, I think you're you're probably right. Um, 
it's all about setup and, and how and you know what the next guy wants when it comes to use planners anymore. So let's take right. a look. let's talk about what you see happening in the auction market. Um, let's go out let's go out east first. So Matt, what do you guys see out there happening with auction markets and, and how are uh, on farm auctions affecting your business? Yeah, um, patient. We don't have a lot of auction uh, business or market out here. Uh, for whatever reason, there's, there's just there's never been a reason, what I would call an auction house out uh, area. It's predominantly construction. Uh, they tried a few ag auctions, but they, they focus out here construction. Uh, that's a uh, and that's what they continue to sort of do down there. So um, there's your normal, you know, estate sales, farm retirement auctions, things of that nature. Um, we went here last weekend. Uh, it, 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 most everything brought even under auction numbers. Um, I don't know exactly why all that, why it happened the way it is, but uh, it did. And so, um but typically, we just don't have the quantity of auctions um, like you might might somewhere else in, in, in the country to really say there's an auction bias on on the equipment business. If that makes sense. Um, I wish there was a, a good local you know auction house or somebody that was really into that business to sort of help us out. But uh, we, we we we've actually kicked it around, kind of creating our own because we just we don't have that that uh, good market to go to. So. Um, and quite honestly, sometimes you get a little further south. Um, you know, only people that down south are going to want to buy it because no one else in the rest of the country wants to touch it. So, um, I know that's why you guys uh, don't, I don't think, pay attention to the southeast United States auction market. Yeah, we, we pay attention to what happens in the south. Usually, you can get some deals out of the south if you're, uh, if you're watching. You got, you got, uh, you know, people will buy anything if it's cheap enough. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. What, no that's doubt. what spray paint's for. <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Matt, what do you guys see happen there in kind of uh, southeast Iowa there? Yeah, kind of the same thing as Matt you said there. You know, we don't really have any typical auction houses close to us as well. Um, now, with that being said, our, our customers sure know what auction prices are. Um, when they come into trade, they they sure like to bring up what auction values are brought on certain items that they're looking to buy from us, but they don't like us bringing it back up when they're looking at uh, trades. But, uh, but I, I would say they're very well versed on what auction values are right now. We are seeing a lot of, of uh, uh, retirement farm auctions you know, throughout Iowa, those prices are wrong. Um, if there's a later model, lower hours, or even even that, you know, mid ninety stuff, your forty four fifties, your fifty five, uh, eight thousand series, things like that. If they're towards the lower hour, nice clean tractors, they're probably a one or two owner machine. They're still strong pricing um, on those retirement auctions, um, the, which is good. For, you know. Good that the farmer gets that out of them uh, when they're ready to retire. It, it does hurt a little bit from when guys do come in and want to trade that machine, then they think that it brought that on a farm auction, and that's what it should be worth as a trade value. So there's a 
little bit of education process that has to go on with the customer that, you know, that's more of a full-blown retail. That's not what we're going to probably even get out of it here, sitting on our lot, uh, what they just got out at their at their farm auction. So, so there's some influence there. It's not that it's uh, that they're going right to the auction. It's more that because of the online access to everybody now that uh, they're seeing a lot of that information and and uh, more aware of, of auction prices throughout the Midwest. Yeah, I think um, that's something interesting too. Machinery Pete was talking about that in, in this next podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna send out here that he measures the uh, estate auctions and then the regular on-site auction consignment sell type stuff, and then he's broken out online auctions and, and how they've um, the niche that they've created. And basically, the online auction is not that far away from uh, what you'd see at a at like a retirement sale auction value. I mean, they're, they're pretty close. Uh, to, yep. They're kind of right there in the middle between the two, you know, and, and so the uh, traditional auction experience might be drifting off to uh, more of a, you know, sitting back and watching a, a big iron sale or uh, something like that where they're going to be just watching it online. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, that uh, sentiment completely. Um, at least for myself, you know, when I'm buying things like that, I mean, I just, I don't have time to travel to them. Most of them aren't close by to me anyway. And, and I've gotten used to it, you know, was doing it, uh, 15 years ago. I guess the first time I was buying things sight unseen was like off John Deere auctions, you know, they have a dealer, dealer only auctions and things. So we've been doing that for a long time, buying stuff, right? Sight unseen on, on there. So, um, I like it. And even for the dealership, when we put stuff in auctions, um, if they are local, it's kind of like we still can't, that they're auctions, but it's kind of like we're still responsible for them to some degree. And if I'm going to have them in an auction and they're online, I, I feel like I'm way more in control because the machine is on our yard and our technicians can go out there. We can help load it. We're just, uh, and we may, may be able to build some sort of relationship with that customer who buys it from us, say, off auction time um, versus um, typically on the, on the on-site auctions, we don't, you know, we don't know who the buyers are. Ninety-nine percent of the time, we have no clue. Um, we, don't, we don't even get that information. So, um, I, I, I'm starting to lean more and more to the only auctions we're going to use are going to be online. We seen Aaron, and I, I could see, I could see him. You know, where where Greg was saying that. Online is getting pretty close to a state, if you will. Um, just because, like, like uh, Matthew was saying, watching that stuff every week, you know, you you can be you can be on auction time or whatever, and looking at five pieces that you know the closest two to each other is five hundred miles apart. It's convenient, you know. You you could be on your phone. Hell, we've done that before. Been been in a meeting and oh, you know, got tractor bought. You know, just blink. There you go. It's done. You don't have to go running around chasing everything. So I I think the convenience factor, and that's you know that's the world we live in now. The technology, convenience, and I can totally see the on the online auction thing. Just you know, I, I'd say it's got a pretty good foothold on the market, and it's only going to get bigger. It's it's not going to go away or, or even backtrack. I think that's I think that's where it's at. 
and that's that's how our customers all know what auction stuff is. You know, you can with the internet has made the world really damn little as far as the equipment business goes, both positive, positively and negatively. Yeah, the internet's made everything pretty small. I think you can go on Amazon and buy a John Deere lawnmower now. I think, I think you can pretty much get anything you want delivered to your house. So it's uh, it's uh, it, it, do they do they deliver that with a drone? Yeah, right there. They have four on each corner, one on each corner, just dropping it off. <laughs> yeah. So that so that means Aaron's really like close to the meeting. I think he is. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he's not in the middle of the country anymore, Matthew. He's, he's almost on your doorstep. Right, so he, he's actually closer. He's yeah. I, I, yeah, I can almost reach out and touch him. I got, I got I almost smell, smell his sheet. I can be anywhere. Yeah, I, I can almost <laughs> smell your sheet, Aaron. You're welcome. I would like to. I would like to taste them. You know, well, you can pack them up in those little freezer boxes and send me send me some. Hell yeah. We don't have any sheep farms out here. Fresh, fresh mutton coming at you. <laughs> lamb, it's not mutton, it's lamb. Mutton Same is difference. Old, old lamb. Same difference. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about this real quick, and then we'll wrap it up. When you look at your inventory right now, as far as used inventory goes, like we're right now, we're we're trying to fill some holes in our inventory that we have. We feel like maybe we don't have enough inventory use wise to uh give our guys the opportunities to go out and make things happen like like we want them to make things happen so we're we're kind of in a fast and furious kind of go out and try to find some stuff and and get some stuff bought that we can then turn around and sell and and keep guys um um motivated and and, and rolling um that being said i still feel like we have some parts of inventory that are that are going to be slow movers and I don't care what anybody says. Used combine market's been a struggle since 2009, so um, it hasn't really changed much over the years. So, I mean, for us, I feel like the used combine market's going to be a, a continued struggle. We're going to sell some, absolutely going to sell used combine. That's that's going to happen, um, but it's going to be the it's going to be tougher for us to do that. So when you take a look at like high horsepower row crop tractors and you know A360Rs, A345Rs, A320Rs even some mid-range 8, 8Rs and those kind of things, even down into some 30 series, 8,030 series tractors. I feel like that's where our our uh, ability to, to generate revenue is going to be at. So, you know, Matt, when you take a look at your inventory, how do you feel about your inventory and what do you see happening through the end of the year with, with kind of some of the opportunities you have there? Yeah, I would agree with you, Casey, there. You know, on the, on the combine side, that's going to be a struggle. I Probably for the first time in a few years, we've got uh, a pretty good mix. We were sitting awful low for a a couple of years there on actually on inventory and had been buying about as much as we could there just to fill holes like you were talking about. But, uh, finally probably got into a, a mix where we're sitting about as comfortable as we could be as far as what we have for a mix on tractors and planters and, and having enough to meet that demand that, uh, that comes there at the end of the year. I know if you go back to 14, when they, uh, didn't pass 179 till the end of the year, and then there was a mad, mad dash to everybody to buy stuff. We got that's when we started getting real low. We had a lot of uh, no trade sales there at the end of the 14, and didn't really recover until oh, probably here in the last six months or so, of getting inventory built up to where we wanted it, uh, so we could fit those needs. So 
Uh, yeah, like you said, combines are going to be a, a tough move, um, no matter uh, what time of year it is. But uh, I think we'll get some year in tractor sales and have some interest already in planters. And, and like I said earlier, on sprayers. So I think those are going to be good to good head into the year end. To, and I feel like we got what we kind of need in those areas. So feel pretty good about our inventory right now. Yeah, our, our, our used inventory, we're still struggling a little bit. We, we've got, um, we still need to need to shed a few pounds, if you will. Um, and we're grinding through that. We, we've set some, set some targets and things we're going to get to before the, before the end of the year. And it, it's kind of across the board as far as product mix. Um, I, I tell our guys the whole time, I said, we are equal opportunity offenders. I, I mean, <laughs> we, yeah, it's a lawnmower, it's a round tailor. I mean, we could screw it up, man. Like, we could screw it up on trade-ins. And so um, we got a real mix of things that, that we need to, to uh, get rid of. It's it's just the higher the dollars and the larger row crop type of stuff is, typically it just costs us a lot more money to uh, make those things disappear. But um, we had started to, to also have some holes in our in our lineup as far as, Good use equipment. Uh, we've been buying a little bit, a little bit of stuff. But when you're still in sort of a, a disposal mode and trying to reduce assets, it's really hard to start pulling the trigger and buying a bunch of things. But uh, that's kind of helping offset some of our losses on some things that that uh, we got in age and we just need. So, um, as far as particular markets like combines, like you said, I mean, I, I don't. It's been that way since the day I got you know started doing this every day, which is about sixteen, seventeen years ago now. So I don't know if that's ever going to change. Um, we're actually a little bit heavy on on large row crop tractors right now, um, and that's probably the, the, the worst area. Outside of that, planters, sprayers, we're okay. We got good, good, just enough inventory. Um, and then uh, small, I say small tractors, utility tractors between 100 and you know 150 horsepower. We actually are short there right now, so I expect we'll be in the be in the market to do some trading and buying to uh, make sure we've got got good inventory to sell. I just happen to know a guy that could probably help you out with some of that stuff, so he could, you know. I I, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, always willing to help. It's what he is. He's like he's like a camp counselor. He's there to listen and 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 take care of you, all your needs, Matthew. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. The pro- the problem is with all this you guys equipment is you but y'all put your stuff on one way train coming out here and y'all, y'all accept any return tickets. <laughs> oh no, I'll, I'll take truckload after truckload. It just has to be right. Right, right, and then y'all haul, well, I don't know what you haul back, sheep or pigs or <laughs> lumber or something, because equi- equipment doesn't go back the other way, I promise you that. I heard the same thing out of the guys on the West Coast, they said the same thing, that it doesn't come back, once it gets to the West Coast, it doesn't come back. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Aaron, what do you think that sweet spot is right now as far as... From retail wise, we think the the sweet spot is as far as dollar value goes on equipment. Uh oh. Kind of like like 
uh, I think he was getting ready to say that he wanted to buy all my 2013 F6 babies. I think that's what I just heard him say. I think I think I'll pass on that um, for now. <laughs> All right, for now. Matt Rash was saying a little bit ago, you know, tractors are on all year now. It didn't used to be that way, but it kind of is a is a strong deal now. Um, and I, I think, you know, big shocker, everybody. The the big eight big eight R is probably the hot thing in the market. Um, you know, as long as their price right set up right, it seems like they don't last long at all. Um, and it could be anything from, you know, the 2,500-hour the tractors down to the 300-hour tractors. The, the, the market as a whole is, you know, by far and away the, the sweet spot of it all. Um, combines, I don't, I don't think combines are too bad. You know, there again, it depends how they're set up. We, we have a area in our AOR that, that uh, runs a lot of spreader combines, and those things are those things are kind of a pain just because to sell it somewhere else in the U.S., it's got to have a chopper, and you know then you get into twenty thousand dollar add on on something you're already bleeding to death on, and they they get kind of tricky. But I don't think all combines are bad. Um, low houred, well equipped, six eighty stuff like that seems to be seems to be pretty good pretty good hit yet. Um, Sprayers, I think, are still red hot. Um, smaller sprayers, I would say. Uh, 49s and R, 4045s, probably not as much. Uh, but you get into 30, even 20 series, small 20, small 30. Um, certain R, 4038s, those, those things have all been pretty hot yet. But the, uh, if I was, you know, if I was the pick, Pick one thing that's the end all be all. Big, big eight thousands are, are where it's at, and that's you know you could ask me that same question, and you know nine and a half out of ten years, that's always going to be the the bright spot. Yep. All right, guys. Well, we've been going here for almost an hour, and uh, I think we better wrap it up. So before we uh, shut her down. Any any of you have any pearls of wisdom for the internet here? Okay, well, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Aaron, Matt, and Matthew for being my um, guests on this edition. If you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.